I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. Yes, the offense does need improving as well. We'll go for Will Miles' latest article from Read and Reaction. Our strength and conditioning coach is shipping off to Boston, shipping up to Boston, well, I guess, uh, in a surprise move. Sean Kelly interviewed Billy Napier this past week on a podcast called Gator Tales on the Florida Gators football YouTube site there. I believe you can download it elsewhere, but that was an interesting interview from the voice of the Gators. And college football, the college football playoff has a new deal with ESPN uh, through the 2023 season, I believe. Or tw- sorry, 2031 season, Will. Uh, pretty amazing figure. And you had an interesting comment about NIL. <laughs> regarding that new deal with ESPN. How's it going, man? It's going well. It's going well. We're, uh, you know, obviously we've been pushing the preseason magazine the last couple of weeks. So for those who don't know, um, every year Nick and I put out a Florida Gator specific preseason football magazine. Um, It's really cool. It's like, Last year, it was 70 pages long, hard copy version that you could order. This year, we're working on different distribution channels, things like that. We're also seeking advertisers. So we've had – I've actually been very humbled by the number of people who've reached out, the number of people who've gotten our media kit, and the number of people who've responded. So, you know, we're we're excited. Um, The spots are starting to fill up. We certainly have a few more available. But certainly, if you want to get in, if you want to get information, reach out to me, will at readandreaction.com, or on X, you can get me at willmilessec. That's will at readandreaction.com or at Will Miles SEC. Um, happy to talk to you. Happy to figure out something. It's a happy, happy where you get the advertising that you want in front of Gator fans. And obviously we get some support in terms of putting this thing together. It's it's a labor of love, obviously, putting together a 70-page magazine on this program that we all love. Um, we love doing it, but we also really, really want to start getting this thing out there to more Gators fans. You all can help us do that. We talked about a month ago about the vision for this is to expand having specialty magazines for all sorts of different programs out there, all 60, all 65 power five, though there isn't a power five anymore, but uh, what the vision will be as college football starts to sort of settle into what it's going to be that we're going to have magazines for all the big boys and you guys out there can help us make that happen. So again, reach out will at readingreaction.com or at Will Miles SEC on X. Happy to talk, send you our media kit, send you the information about pricing and uh, and talk back and forth to make sure it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, one thing I'd like to make clear too is we're looking for partners to grow with here. So we we view this as just the beginning. There's we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going with this magazine. We're making progress each year so far, and uh, we're gonna continue to grow. The one thing too, Will we 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 obviously run this show every week. We run Stand Up and Holler. We got the blog that's got an audience. If the magazine is not for you, we have other options to advertise with that we can discuss as well. So the, we got options. Reach out to Will. Start the conversation. We'd love to talk with you. Like Will said, we don't want to. We're we're not going to hard sell people. We're not hard selling people here. We want partners that want to grow with us, and we want you to be happy as well. That's a that's a big key to what we're doing. Will. Yeah, I think that's a great point of emphasis is that there we may not be the right partner for your business. We've had a couple of people who've reached out and said, hey, can you give us some demographic information because this is what I'm selling? And and my response back has been, yeah, we're probably not the right audience um, for, for the product that you have specifically. And that's great, right? Let's have the conversation. Let's figure that out and uh, leave friends shaking hands and, and understanding that we explored it. It wasn't the right opportunity. But some of you, I think, probably are the right opportunity. 
the right demographic, the right um, the right time to advertise those sorts of things. Like you said, there are options beyond the magazine, but the magazine is where we're focused right now. Like I said, spots are starting to fill up, which is exciting for us, but uh, certainly still have some space left. and would love to fill that with some of the listeners out there here for Stand Up and Holler. All right. We'll, we'll keep reminding everybody we're not going any way on this one anytime soon. <laughs> so that's our little commercial on the front end here. Let's get into the show, Will. So you wrote an article, you just posted it today uh, on, on the Read and Reaction website. Yes, Florida's offense is a problem. It's evaluating what type of impact a significant jump in performance on the offensive side of the ball could have for the Gators in 2024. Uh, hey, look, one, one of the things I liked from the article here, this is, this is a piece from it. You said, but when folks defend Napier's offensive performance, you often hear them say that the defense was the problem in 2023, not the offense. While that's true to the extent that the defense was definitively worse than the offense, uh, that argument misses some key context. This article helped fill in the gap on that context, Will. So we all see that the defense needs work. But there's plenty of room for improvement on the offensive side, that if the offensive side goes from just in the middle of the pack to, to great, that can also have as big of an impact as a, as a greatly improved defense on this team next year. Yeah, if not more. I mean, so the thing is, is if you look at if you look at either offenses or defenses between the tenth ranked offense or the tenth ranked defense up to the hundredth ranked offense or the hundredth ranked defense. Basically, it's a linear progression between each of those in terms of points per game, right? So if you go from 40th to 20th, or you go from 60th to 40th, or you go from 80th to 60th, doesn't really matter where you rank in terms of how much you improve. Each jump of 20 slots uh, moves you about the same amount. Now, it's interesting that on the offensive side, it moves you actually a little bit more than on the defensive side. And so I think that becomes one of the things is that you get more bang for your buck with an improvement on the offensive side. But the other thing is, is that when you become truly elite, so the number one, number two, number three offense in the country, or the number one, number two, number three defense in the country, those defenses seem to be above and beyond much, much better. They break that linear trend, right? And so you end up with something that can sustain a team even if it's got a weak link unit on the other side. So the two examples I used in the article were LSU this year in 2023 and USC in 2023. Both had defenses sub 100 in points per game allowed. However, they were able to have winning records because Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels were excellent. And LSU specifically, the number one offense in the country by a wide margin. And so then you got to ask yourself the question, okay, Florida was sort of a middle-of-the-road offense last year, but the defense was absolutely terrible. Which one has the opportunity to be elite? And so, you know, do I think that Florida, it's likely that Florida has an elite offense this year? No, I really don't. But I think the the ability of Florida's offense to be an elite unit is much, much higher than the ability of its defense to be an elite unit for two reasons. One is that the defense was obviously very, very bad last year. It's going to improve. But the question is, how much is it really going to go from being ranked, you know, 80th in points per game allowed to being second? I don't think that's necessarily a realistic progression. The other reason is, is that the quarterback position makes a huge difference in terms of offensive performance in a way that no position on the defense really can, right? You have to piece together a defense with multiple players, which means if you're going to go from bad to elite, you have to have an enormous amount of turnover. Now, certainly in college football, there's a lot of turnover. 
But Florida's also lost some guys on the defensive side. You think about Ewan Melan, you think about Chris McClellan, um, you think about Jaden Hill, those guys leaving, um, Scooby Williams, and now you're having to replace them. I think in some cases replacing them might be an upgrade, but the question is, is you have to upgrade at so many spots that taking that jump to elite really becomes difficult. Whereas all, if all Florida does is find out that DJ Legway is awesome, you can see a propensity where that offense is going to be ranked very, very highly and carries the team. And we saw that a few years ago with Kyle Trask. 2019 comes in and really showed flashes. And in 2020, it was one of the best quarterbacks we've seen um, at Florida in a really long time. And that offense carried that team to an eight and four record in 2020 without that offense being as good as it was that team is that team sitting in the Billy Napier six and seven zone or five and seven zone um, just like the last couple of years and so to me that's the thing is that you hear a lot of people say well I'm only worried about the defense and the thing is Florida wasn't good enough on either unit last year to take for granted now look I don't think Napier isn't focused on making the offense better but the thing that sort of started this article is that Napier is not bringing in an outside offensive coordinator. He's made that clear over the last week or two. And so in him not bringing in an outside offensive coordinator, that means he now is held responsible for what happens on the offensive side of the ball. And the Florida offense ranking 50th or 60th in points per game just isn't going to be good enough given where the defense is coming from. So it needs to improve and improve significantly along with all of the operational stuff that we think of in terms of needing an offensive coordinator. You hear that a lot. I have a big part in the, in the article about it talking about the operational excellence that Napier is supposed to bring. And the argument for an offensive coordinator an outside offensive coordinator has been, he needs to dedicate his full attention to being a CEO, not actually just being the offensive coordinator, that he's got responsibilities beyond the offensive play calling. All of that is true, but none of that matters if the offense isn't performing at, at even – I mean, it needs to be top 20, quite honestly, next year if Florida's going to survive the schedule, and that's just sort of the reality of the way things work in the, in the SEC. It's almost comforting to think about the fact that it's not all on the defense this year to get better because – Boy, that's been quite the proposition the last few years. That 2020 team, highly flawed, but also highly entertaining for much of that season, Will. So but even the games we lost, there's some plenty of shootout. There was a huge shootout factor there. So I know Florida fans would uh, kill to watch that level of football again, at least on the offensive side of the ball. So I, it is an interesting perspective to consider because I do think that the focus has been primarily on the improvement on the defensive side. I think the conversation, one element I'll add to, to your point, to, uh, the conversation around the offensive coordinator spot, I think a lot of that is driven by the fact that people will harp so hard on the offense. It's like, well, you, you'll lose a game 38 to 35, and people are like, we need an offensive coordinator. It's like, did we give up 38 points? We scored 35. You should win a lot of games, score 35, right? So – it's been like that for a couple of years here, but it is, it's also, it's interesting to consider though, because there are those games. There's definitely those off weeks with this offense. There's been good moments, but there's also been some moments where the offense has really struggled at times under Napier. Yeah. I mean, look, you don't go five and seven because you've got a lights out defense and your offense is struggling or vice versa. Right. I mean, you're, you're going to, to, there are going to be times where things struggle. The issue with the offense, I think, has been more inconsistency. But, I mean, look, they scored 11 points against Utah, 29 against Tennessee in a win, 22 against Charlotte, 14 against Kentucky, 20 against Georgia, 
and 15 against Florida State. So you have the run there where they scored 38 against Vanderbilt, 41 against South Carolina, then Georgia, they only scored 20, then Arkansas 36, LSU 35, and Missouri 31. So yes, the offense in some of those games performed very, very well. But you can't just erase the 22-point performance against Charlotte or the 11-point performance against Utah. Those count. And and they count and the, or the fourteen point, um, you know, essentially Florida's three and two heading into the heading into that stretch with Vanderbilt, South Carolina. They end up five and two after those two wins, but the two losses, the one to Utah and the one to Kentucky, were all ones that conceivably could have been a win had the offense been more consistent. And very early on in the year, we looked at it, and the offense didn't. The offense might have good stats at the end of the game. You look at Graham Mertz, you're like, oh yeah, those stats were pretty good. But the game was already out of, out of hand by the time a lot of the stats were put up, especially when you think about the Utah game and the Kentucky game. So, um, look, it's not to say that the offense was terrible. The offense was not terrible. The offense was incredibly in, inconsistent, and it was not explosive. And so when you combine those two things, the inconsistency and the lack of explosivity, then you have an offense that's sort of middle of the road. And middle of the road with a bad defense is a bad combination. I mean, we already saw your eight and four with an elite offense and a bad defense. Florida had a middle of the road offense and a bad defense. And all of a sudden you're staring at five and seven instead of eight and four. So um, if Florida's defense were improved to say top 20 in the country, but the offense stayed right where it was, Florida's still probably sitting at like six and six, seven and five, something like that. And I don't know that that's enough to to silence all the critics that are, you know, I think it's a hard decision at that point as to what you want to do with the program moving forward, but it does not make a definitive statement one way or the other. However, if the offense improves 20, 25 spots and the defense jumps up to 20th or 30th in the country, well, now you're talking about a borderline top 25 team. You're probably talking about a team that goes eight and four or maybe goes seven and five, but you've got sort of a spate of one score losses. You end up with a lot of hope from DJ Lagway towards the end of the year. And all of a sudden you're moving into 2025 with a lot of optimism. So um, the look. Billy Napier knows that he needs to be better on offense, but the first two years have been kind of similar. The difference between year one with Anthony Richardson and year two with Graham Mertz is I think Mertz was more consistent, but Richardson was more explosive. And it turns out explosives matter more when it comes to scoring than just being consistent. And so they're going to have to find some explosives this year, whether that comes from Mertz. I wrote about that a few weeks ago about Mertz needing to go downfield more often. Mm-hmm. whether that comes from Mertz, whether that's going to come from Lagway, or whether they're just going to see a massive improvement, hopefully, in the offensive line that gives Mertz the ability to pick defenses apart a little bit more. Um, all of those things probably in concert are going to be necessary because of the schedule that Florida is facing. I mean, if Florida was facing Georgia's schedule from last year, I think we'd all sort of be sitting here going, yeah, we can be optimistic coming into this one that we might end up 8-4 and four just because of the quality of the opponents that they're playing. But, I mean, you know, I they had the ESPN not to – or way too early top 25 that was released. I think nine of Florida's 12 opponents are in the top 25. And so it's, it. it's, it's, it's tough sledding, man. And, and they are going to have to improve on both sides. So if you just say, well, I only care about the defense improving, that's fine. You're staring at a six and six team. And so then you got to answer the question is six and six good enough to not make changes, to not modify what you're doing, to not change your plan, those sorts of things. And if six and six isn't good enough, then it's not just, oh, I need the defense to improve. It's We need the offense to improve and improve significantly in order for Florida to move things forward. Another article here by Will Miles up on readingreaction.com. Be sure to check it out this week. All right, Will, let's move on here. Strength and conditioning coach uh, 
High and by, I guess, man. Here, here since December, Craig Fitzgerald took the job. There seemed to be a lot of positive re- reviews on Florida's new director of football performance. But he just left Florida for Boston College. Will uh, he worked with Bill O'Brien back with the Texans and Nittany Lions, and he said after much thought, he told on three sports that after much thought, I have decided to join my decade-long coaching friend Bill O'Brien at Boston College. Uh, mind you, Mark Hockey's still on the staff in a developmental role, role. He was moved to a player development role, so he's still on staff. It sounds like they do have a couple other options on staff here, but you have to imagine that the hire will come from inside the building to replace Fitzgerald. Will, um, look, immediate reaction. This came out, I, I believe, Nick Delatore from On3 broke the story uh, the night of the Super Bowl on Sunday night. My first thought was, can Billy Napier catch a break here? Can he catch a break? That's a that's a rough one. This is prime time season for a strength and conditioning coach, right? Going into spring ball, this is this, this is a rough time for this change to occur here. So, uh, so got a lot of positive reviews on the hire. So it's definitely a tough one to lose. But I want to ask you this: Will is it more surprising losing a strength coach to Boston College, or that Bill O'Brien has a friend? <laughs> because that that was the one that really struck me. Bill O'Brien, that's the guy. <laughs> Bill O'Brien, well, okay, all right, all right, sure. I mean, sure, seems like a nice guy. Yeah. So there, there's some stuff there uh, from the standpoint of I think uh, Fitzgerald's from up there, and his wife's from up in that general area, and that makes a difference. Obviously, I mean, we've all got um, different places we want to live, but you know, my first thought was, you know, it's getting bad when you're getting a flip from your strength and conditioning coach before 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 the season. We got his national letter of intent, but we never got the uh, we had to release him from it or something. I don't know that. Look, it's not a good look. It's not a great look. I mean, there's a, there's a five hour transfer portal window open now <laughs> that the strength coach has left. Yeah. Well, the funny the funny part is is that if you see a kid who enters a national letter who signs a national letter of intent and then four or five weeks later regrets it and asks for release, the fan base is just brutal for that kid being being a traitor and those sorts of things. And then you got a coach who does this, and it's like, oh, well, that's just sort of the way the coaching only if he goes runs. to Georgia. Will no one's going to crush the kid for going to Boston College? Come on. <laughs> well, that may be true. <laughs> I, look, I think there is a stability component here that can't be overlooked is that Fitzgerald walks in, sees the program um, in some ways, you know, maybe that that's a mm-hmm. bad reflection on the program. If he walks in all of a sudden went, Whoa. And, and realized that if this stuff doesn't turn around quick, he's got a one year tenure at, at, uh, at Florida and the Boston college job won't be available. Right. So the Boston college job comes available and now he's essentially got a guaranteed three job, three years up there in Boston for that job in a place where he wants to live the salary difference at the strength and conditioning coach, probably not that much. And so from a quality of life perspective, it makes complete sense to me, right? That if you're, if you're a coach, you're a nomad. And if you can get certainty around where you live and that certainty is around your in-laws and you know, your wife is more comfortable there. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to make that move. But it's still incumbent upon Billy Napier to be able to bring in coaches, retain those coaches, and not have them get poached by teams that we would consider not even a lateral move, right? This is this is a move down historically in college football. And and so that yeah, I mean, it's concerning and and we make jokes about it and all that sort of stuff. But look. I mean, maybe it's just sour grapes, but Richie Leonard the other day came out and was talking about that the strength and conditioning program at Florida State was just 
amazing. Like I don't remember what the words he used, but essentially <laughs> that they weren't screwing around there in Tallahassee, and that it was nothing like I what he'd he experienced. Said it was on a whole, whole nother level. Whole nother level compared to what he, what right. he was experiencing in Gainesville. And so you know, vigorous stretching ain't going to cut it. They're going to need somebody who comes in there and cracks some heads and. The other thing is, is that the strength and conditioning coach, you look at what happens on on Saturday and go, oh, we're getting dominated up front, those sorts of things. That must be a strength and conditioning coach issue. And some, in some ways, that's true. But the other thing is that guy has permission to contact and keep in contact with all of the players during non-contact times. So times when Billy Napier is not allowed to be technically coaching the players, times when um, Austin Armstrong is not allowed to be coaching the players, the strength and conditioning coach can be out there reinforcing the things that Napier and Armstrong and Staples or Stapleton and all those guys want to reinforce. Like they can feed down to that strength and conditioning coach. So making sure you've got a guy in place that you trust, you can't put Hawk back in this position. I mean, you just demoted the guy. And now you're like, oh, well, we're going to bring you back up. Like, no, nah, that isn't going to work. They're going to have to fill this. Whether they do it internally or externally, I don't know. But um, I don't think that you can just re-promote the guy who was there before, um, especially considering the way you spun it from the standpoint of, well, we're preparing him for on-field coaching. That's where his heart is. That's where he wants to go. And so we're going to help him facilitate that. If you slide him back into the strength and conditioning role, essentially that was all BS. And you're just basically admitting that, you know, you thought you had an upgrade. The upgrade went someplace else, and so now we're going to slide that guy right back in there. I'm not sure that that goes over real well with the players or the or the fans. Honestly, I don't put this on Napier at all. I think this is a freak situation. This is a freak situation. The guy has a previous relationship with him that goes back. I, I mean, Bill O'Brien was with the Texans for how long? What, seven, eight years? And then he's with Penn State for another few years. So if they have this type of relationship, it goes all the way back and – it's obviously a guy he trusts that he make a move like this. Uh, you know, this is one of those things that Jeff Half Halfley leaving Boston College impacted the Florida Gators. So mm-hmm. it, next time you think something's irrelevant news in the college football world, everything's connected. It, Halfley right. leaves, Bill O'Brien leaves, leaves Ohio State, and boom, we lose our strength and conditioning coach because they happen to have this decade plus long relationship uh, friendship. So uh, I it's I think it's a freak situation. Tough break for Napier and so, company. Obviously, you want to see them be able to retain coaches, but I, I, it doesn't seem like this was a money move. It doesn't seem like it's common on the program. It seems like a guy that was friends with another guy that that longtime friend that took a took a job late in the cycle and and was able to uh, convince his buddy to come up to Boston. Maybe. I mean, here's what I'll say is you started this all out by saying, can't Billy Napier catch a break? And I think that's sort of where I sit on this is that as an isolated incident, I don't look at this as like something that that raises massive alarm bells or makes me concerned or anything like that. The problem is, is that this is one of many times where we've looked at it said, well, this one isolated incident shouldn't, shouldn't raise alarm bells, but taken as a whole, you start looking at it and saying, okay, well, why does nothing ever go right? Like, why do we always follow two steps forward with three steps back and a kick in the nuts? Like, why is that always the way this seems to go for Florida really over the last decade, not just under Billy Napier? So it's not just a Billy Napier problem. I mean, obviously, Florida struggled now for a few years. And and what I would say is, you know, when someone gets pulled over for a DUI, it's really not the first time they've they've drank. If they did, they're like the unluckiest person in the world. Like you kind of know that when someone got pulled over for a DUI, they've probably done it before and they just happen to get caught this time. And that's sort of the feeling that I have here, which is that, again, 
as as an isolated incident, yeah, like I get it. It's an isolated incident, but Florida seems to keep getting caught in these situations. And at some point, the product in Gainesville needs to be attractive enough. And the vision that's being cast by the administration needs to be strong enough that you're able to convince people to stay, even if there are attractive options out there. Right. And and the thing for me is, is that you know, when you're, and anybody who's changed jobs knows this, for the most part, if you're happy at the job that you're in and you believe in the vision and you believe in the mission and all that stuff, the recruiter calls, you don't even take the call. Right. I mean, obviously if the recruiter comes in and says, it's, not I can a recruiter, your salary. it's a good friend that you worked with for 10 years that you obviously think enough of to, I mean, that's gotta be a difficult situation for the guy to leave here, but I see yeah. your point. You're talking about trends. You're talking about overall trends. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I understand fans who would look at this and be like, yeah, okay. It, I, I'll forgive him for this one, but what about the other 10 things that we've looked at? Right. And, and these things just start to add up. And again, I sort of go back to what is the vision? You know, there's, um, there's an article that came out today for the Orlando Sentinel that Edgar had written that was talking about Florida victorious raising funds. That's a vision problem, right? Not being able to cast a vision in terms of where the program is going in order to bring in the, the name, image, and likeness funds to be able to compete with some of the big boys. That's a vision problem. Now, everybody will sit there and go six and seven and five and seven. It's really hard to make that sale. That may be true, but that's sort of the job. Right. The job is to make the sale, even when things aren't going well, because things will never go well if you can't make that sale. So it's almost the same thing in some respects to me is that if you cast a vision where the strength and conditioning coach looks at this and goes, you know, there's an opportunity here for me to have a significant impact to be able to get the credit for the turnaround that happens, all that sort of stuff. Like there are ways to, like, he sold the program to Fitzgerald to start with. The question is then why can't why can't we finish the deal? And if it was one time and this is the only time, that'd be fine. But I mean, geez, look at the Florida staff, man. Like who's left from the guys that they've brought in to start with? There's been a ton of turnover. It's only been three years. And uh, you know, so it's a lot of misses, to be honest with you, on the on the staff overall. And Fitzgerald just fits in that category again as another miss irrespective of the circumstances. And we can sit there and say, well, this is a unique circumstance, blah, 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 blah. But look, I mean, Kalen DeBoer's at Alabama. That's a unique circumstance for the people in Tuscaloosa. They have to make an adjustment. DeBoer's not going to be Nick Saban. At the same time, he's definitely going to be held to that dude's standard. Like the the folks in Tuscaloosa he, he, are not going to accept. He lost an it. offensive coordinator to Seattle. He did last week. So and it was the guy that was with him at the last stop. Yeah. who turned well, out Alabama the year before. <laughs> so well, so if his offensive coordinator had gone to Arkansas Pine Bluff, then maybe we'd have a conversation about how this is commensurate. The dude's now the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, that is an upgrade, especially if you don't like recruiting. So, uh, you know, a little bit different situation. But again, I mean, I look at it and I go from a – now if we hear reports in a couple of months that all Florida's doing is vigorous stretching and that guys are, are out of the planet fitness pumping iron – Okay, well, that's a problem, and yeah. and quite honestly, a leadership problem, not just a strength and conditioning coach problem. But we'll see who they bring in to replace him. We'll see um, whether they're able to cast the vision that Fitzgerald had. I mean, he should have already had plans in place for all of these guys during the offseason. So now it's just a matter of having people on staff hold them accountable to executing the plans that Fitzgerald and Napier had put together for each of the players. And so hopefully that's something they, they can do while they're looking for a replacement. Yeah, tough timing, uh, tough comparison for Boston College to Arkansas Pine Bluff as well. So that's uh, any, any Eagles fans out there, if you want to take that up with Will, go go at him. 
Uh, Wait, they're they're Boston College fans. Uh, I've been to a Boston College game before. There weren't there weren't many. <laughs> there were, there were a few. There weren't too many. So it, it made uh, and they were playing Miami too. So they were all wearing a, Patriots uh, gear. Yeah, it made it made it was I the Red Sox were playing in the World Series that night at the time. So I'm pretty sure that's what most of them were doing. But um, Friday night, not a well attended game up in uh, at Chestnut Hill. There. Uh, all right, Napier. Went on Sean Kelly uh, this week, uh, last week or last week, the voice of the Gators. Sean Kelly spoke to Billy Napier uh, in in episode twenty one of Gator Tales, the podcast on uh, the Florida Gators YouTube channel. Uh, Napier, it, it was a good interview. You really covered the gamut. Uh, Sean Kelly asked him some pretty direct questions as well. I thought I thought it was an interesting interview. Got as much as you can out of Napier on that. So like from we'll start with special teams we'll start with special teams so napier uh, had said that the special teams coordinators are going to be off the field but that's standard protocol at a lot of programs he said including our biggest competition he said chris couch and, and, and joe will coordinate and game plan special teams uh, we had some areas last year where we were really good and it was mostly issues around organization and we're trying to fix it from that standpoint. He said there's also a GA who works with the special teams room year-round and some interns that work with it as well. So he believes that special teams will have plenty of attention this year, uh, even though it doesn't appear they're going to. it's going to be an on-field role, Will. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I don't think it's a huge deal. You were disappointed that the special teams aren't on field. I, I think it really comes down to, and this is going to be the, sort of the theme of 2024, is it's put up or shut up time. I mean, if, if we got all the mistakes, all the – like you're going to have to miss kick every once in a while and things like that, but the illegal procedure penalties and not have enough guys on the field, the wrong numbers, all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it's not just a matter of it needs to be cleaned up somewhat. It's that the perception is so bad at this point that it all needs to be cleaned up. Like it needs to be a smooth, well-oiled organization. And if they can do that, then great. If they can't, then obviously the fact that he's not an on-field on-field coach will be a point of consternation for the fan base. And so it is one of those things where I think people will read into the success or failure based on what they see on the field, not necessarily the process. Um, I'm ten, I tend to be a process guy. I don't disagree with Napier that having the guy um, off field is, is a terrible thing. I think it's fine having him there, but I think the communication during game day has to be very clear about what's going on and that the players need to know their roles and need to take some responsibility to make sure that they've got all their eyes dotted and T's crossed when they go out there. Hopefully, the new special teams coach in coordination with Chris Couch is going to be able to bring that sort of level of detail and attention to detail. But that's the reality is not having him on the field means that if you have some slip-ups and, and gaps there, uh, that's going to come back on Napier wholesale because he's the one who's decided to make this this change and set it up this way. I think this is one area that can be an easy win for Billy Napier this year. Special teams, there there were gaps most games like he could say that he felt like overall there there wasn't a lot of problems some elements of it played well okay fine i don't know how granular we're getting in that assessment uh but this is not an area where you feel like okay well we're playing georgia and we're really getting mashed along the defensive line their offensive line just killing us right now they, we have to recruit better players and it's going to be a couple of years before we can really compete in the trenches special teams one of those things you can make a huge jump 
year to year or a huge crash year to year. You go up or down in a big way year to year on special teams has nothing to do with talent, everything to do with paying attention to the details. And I, I feel like uh, Smack came on last year. I know he, obviously the Arkansas kick stands out, but Smack for the most part was a, a fairly reliable kicker. Uh, the punty game was okay last year. I, I, I think the punting game has been usually pretty solid at Florida. Most years it's pretty solid. I don't worry about that too much. But the execution itself, Will, needs to be highly stressed this year because I think that is definitely an area where if you make radical improvement in that area, that's going to that's going to look a lot better game to game. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not just um, special teams, quite honestly, when you start talking about execution. It's all over the field. It's illegal procedure penalties where you've got wide receivers not lined up correctly. It's it's the special teams running out on the field when the offense is coming up to spike the ball. It's right. it's the offensive yeah. line actually blocking things appropriately. That has nothing to do with special teams, Coach, but everything to do with the overall ethos of the team. And I think to say, well, the special teams coach needs to be on the field because that's going to solve the problem, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think based on what we've seen in terms of operational excellence or lack of operational excellence with this program so far is that it runs deeper than just the special teams coach. It requires a a really sort of fundamental overhaul of the way the teaching is being done because the players are struggling to execute what they're being taught during the week, or at least that's the way it appears. From the defensive standpoint, uh, Napier said he really felt felt like he needed to make a couple of changes, and he had a good relationship with Ron Roberts in the past. Says that Roberts is not only familiar with Napier's process, but he had a good working relationship with Austin Armstrong, something that is definitely important when you have a young defensive coordinator and such an experienced guy coming into that role. I don't think Roberts takes that job either if he doesn't have some level of comfort with Armstrong as well. So seems like it's going to be a good support role there for Roberts. Uh, but he said some of his time and effort and energy overall has, has gone to help into building the NIL workflow. And now that he's confident in the NIL structures, it, it, it he didn't directly say this. I'm reading into this part. Now that he's confident into the NIL structure. It, it feels like some of this, some of this stuff is going to have some extra attention throughout the year with Bill and April. And you have to think, I know that sound, to me, I know people can be critical of that statement, but the fact is there's only so much time in the day. And if Napier is coordinating all this NIL stuff on the side and helping build out different workflows and structures, if he's got some elements of the program in place, he was talking about the program overall, not just NIL, where they got a lot of things in place. He said it took a little more time than they wanted to build it up, but he feels like a lot of the program's in place and he's not got his eye off the field as much. He can keep a a better eye on the field will and the fact is is for as bad as we were the last couple of years on defense napier has addressed that this offseason he has made the changes and he has put in, he has put guys in place that he feels like can help make that improvement yeah i mean i see what you're saying but there are no participation trophies in the sec and to say, hey, it's taken us 18 months to get processes in place for something that's been around, that your competitors have clearly put those processes in place much, much faster than you have. Um, I'm not I'm not giving out a trophy for that, right? It's you're paid an awful lot of money to project what you need to do as an organization. And we're given an awful lot of money to bring in a significant staff to be able to delegate those sorts of things. And so the idea that there's – I get what you're saying about there being an, uh, so much time in the day, but 
11 guys on the field is pretty damn fundamental to what you do from a football perspective. And so uh, to not be able to do that consistently is a flaw that's quite frankly unacceptable for a high school program, let alone a college program. And to sit there and go, well, it's taken us a little bit of time to get our processes in place. Nah, that's what that's what you came in from Louisiana purporting to be able to do. That's why you asked for the giant assistant pools, the money to be able to bring in your army. That's why you did all that stuff. And the reality is, is that that stuff all eventually funnels to Napier and execution on the field is like one a on his resume of or one a on his job listing in terms of what his job response responsibilities are like i literally would put it like recruiting and then execution on the field and i guess you could make the statement that nil is part of recruiting and that that's a new segment that everyone's dealing with and that's absolutely true at the same time like you're the head coach of the football team. You got to have 11 people on the field. And I'm just not willing to accept this excuse that it's taken longer to be able to, like you've got all these other coaches who have almost no responsibilities with NIL, right? Like I don't think your position coaches have any sort of responsibility with NIL other than referring the players who are asking about NIL to your people on your staff who are doing the NIL work. So those guys should all be fully capable of making sure that the players know what they're supposed to do on game day, can execute their assignments, can be on the field when they need to be on there, understand different penalties, understand um, what their jobs are to execute, all that sort of stuff. So I, I'm not real sympathetic to that argument, but you know, we'll see what happens in 2024. I, I think it's a fair point because you're criticizing what what's actually occurred on the field, and and I I totally understand that. I, I think that's accurate. I also think that this is a rapidly change. This has been a Will, we've had more change in the last two to three years in college football than we've had almost our entire lifetime. Like in terms of just the rule, the act, the rules behind everything, even the state law changed, right? Didn't the state law changed after, after his first season going into the second season for what they, they, so they've been changing pretty much since every year since Napier has been here, something's been different on that front that has nothing to do with Napier. And None he's of that should constantly impact. adjust. He's got to constantly. I'm not saying. I don't. By the way, I'm not talking about game day operations. I am talking about the fact that, and I'll get to it here in this section with the offense. That there's actually some level. He has yet to have a moment in his tenure where there's some level of continuity in, in this job. And and obviously, you get paid a ton of money. Nobody feels sorry for you. Deal with the rapidly changing environment. I get all that stuff, but that is accurate. If that happened at your job. Anybody listening, that happened in your life. You'd be on your toes for a little bit too, making some changes, right? So we can't, I, I can't see that side uh, of things here with Napier. It doesn't mean you don't get 11 guys on the damn field. I, I, I get well, your point on that front. And I, I hate that argument because there's so many people in college football who have adjusted. And to to sit there and go, well, it, it took us a really long time to adjust. Well, that's sort of the problem is that time is of the essence when it comes to recruiting. We've gone over wait, it multiple wait, I, times. I'm going to challenge you on that statement, though. When you say there's so many people have, have adjusted, who, who like when you're looking at, I, I think all of these schools are still figuring out to some extent. Is, is there Freeze. anyone that's just been completely flawless so far to this point? 
Free's done a pretty good job. Kirby's done a pretty good job. Heupel's actually done a halfway decent job in terms of what was necessary there. I think you could say Texas has done a very nice job. I think uh, I'm trying to think of who else has come in with Napier. Um, in terms, I think Brian Kelly has done a better job than Napier, at least in terms of the overall recruiting aspect of things. LSU certainly hasn't been uh, embarrassing anybody on the field. Um, I, I, you're not going to get me to sit here and say that five and seven, six and seven, and substandard well, talking, recruiting I, classes I are awesome. What, I, just, I understand what you're talking about, the results. I'm not trying to get you to say they're awesome. I think you're being pretty black and white with me here. I'm saying that I can understand that there are some factors behind the scenes that are so, probably eating up more of his time that than would normally be the case five years ago, even. Right. So I, I could see where that that's something that occupies the attention of the staff. I could see where the occupy things are changing constantly. I do think that is something that has been a factor behind the scenes because we've seen the issues pop up in our own program in a big way. In some instances, it could go back to, I'll go back on the critical side here with you. The trends, the trends are there, right? It, you can put that in the trends of, of problems overall, but I guess to me, I look at that and I feel like that's the side I can have a little patience with is that because things are changing at such a rapid pace. I mean, Tennessee and Virginia are in court right now suing over, over this NIL stuff with the NCAA. So things are still going to change. We don't even yeah. – it's not in its final format yet. There's going to so, be a lot so, of changes coming years too. So here's what I'll say is that Tennessee and Virginia going and suing is a proactive approach in a place where Florida and Billy Napier are being incredibly reactive. And and that maybe is, is a, a fairer criticism is, is that what you're doing – is what you're saying is, look, they have to adjust to all of these changes and they don't know what move to make next and they're not sure whether they're within the rules and all this sort of stuff. Maybe that's all true. Tennessee and Virginia have said, look, we're going to go outside the rules because that's what's necessary to win. And when it comes time to actually like bow up and go up against the NCAA, we're going to go at them guns blazing. And they made a decision that that was something that they were willing to do. And I guarantee you, they made that decision two years ago. They didn't just file this lawsuit with two weeks worth of thought. They filed the lawsuit knowing likely that they were out of compliance or allegedly that they were out of don't, compliance. Don't give Tennessee too much credit, Will. Don't give Tennessee uh, too much credit. I'll give, I'll give Virginia that credit. <laughs> they're, they're Virginia Tech's rivals, so maybe I shouldn't. I'm just looking at it and I'm saying it's a proactive approach to building the program and being ahead of the curve as opposed to a reactive approach of saying, well, what's going to change next and how do I adjust? It's hey, this is what's going to change next, and I'm going to adjust before it changes and make everybody else come with me. So you think about like the price and the transfer portal and how Lane Kiffin went before early signing day and really raided the transfer portal for all the different guys who are out there from the SEC. That, to me, is an approach change. Kiffin didn't do that last year before early signing day. He looked at it and said, one, I have an opportunity to win a title here if I can really bring in the right players. But the other thing that he did was I think he looked at it and said, I'm going to get guys on the cheap if I pick them up quickly because what's going to happen is after early signing day, people are going to have to fill holes. And when they have to fill holes, all of a sudden there will be this money that floods the system and everything is going to inflate. And I think we've seen that. So Kiffin got deals by putting things in place. Now, Walter Nolan seems unhappy already there in, in, in Oxford, so we'll see how that works out. But Wasn't he uh, unhappy at Texas A&M? Yeah, Didn't well, did he have some negative things to say about Tennessee too? Sure, and no one will give a damn if he's got eight sacks and, and 12 tackles for loss next year from the defensive tackle you, position. Walt. 
Maybe it's you, Walt. Maybe it's not <laughs> everywhere. Uh, again, so I, I think that's my criticism, right? As we're talking about reactivity versus proactivity, I would like to see the program be more proactive. I don't give people a participation trophy for being reactive. If you were proactive and you stepped on a rake, I'd probably say, cool. Like you stepped on a rake, but at least you were being proactive. If you're reactive and still stepping on a rake, then I'm like, well, the guy right in front of you pointed out the rake. What the hell were you doing stepping on it? Like you got to pay attention. And that to me is where sort of the excuses start to run out is there are organizations that are being more aggressive with the NIL stuff who are not making the same stumbles that Florida is making, certainly publicly that Florida is making. And so how do you, how do you square that circle? And I, I struggle with that. I do. And again, I mean, look, I I'm rooting for Napier. I hope he turns it around. I hope 2024 is an awesome year. And that sort of leads into recruiting. And I hope they've got NIL all figured out and all those sorts of things, but I am at a point, And I think most of the fans are at a point where I'm just sitting here with, I'm going to lean back and go prove it. Because you can talk which all you more want than fair, about having is, this stuff organized. It's yeah. time to prove it. And, and that's that's more than fair. That's more than fair right now. But So Will Miles from Read and Reaction say, says stop being reactive. So that's <laughs> that's where we're laying. I, 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 get, I get your point too, Will, on that. I think that's, I think that's a good point. But I, I do think that, um, look, people, when you go five, six and six and five and seven, people don't want to talk about the underlying factors. But – I think we could sit here all off season. I, I'm staring at an off season's worth of show talking about six and six and five and seventy for f- six more months. Yeah, I, I just I'm I'm trying trying to look at other things going on. I, I do I do think that that is something that really. Uh, I mean, we saw we watched Chip Kelly speaking of Bill O'Brien here. Chip Kelly takes the UCLA job, doesn't want to deal with NIL. The talk out of there is coming. He he just doesn't want to deal with that that issue. It sounds like so. I I don't know if that's true or not, but there's a lot of chatter around that, and that's Fun. something that some of these coaches going to the NFL too. You hear a lot of, lot of talk about that. It, it, I, well, I think speaking there are of some proactive, huge speak- changing factors right now in the sport that that are going to take a minute to adjust to, and not everyone's going to do it flawlessly. And we definitely haven't. So I'm not I'm yeah. not saying we haven't, but I do think that I. It is an extenuating circumstance that I can look at and, and, and give a little bit of, of leeway on to, to see how it goes. No leeway from me. Speaking of proactive, look at the Buckeyes, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say that, Will. Ask a Buckeye fan right now. They've lost three straight games to Michigan after having – it'd be like if Florida turned around in a year and started beating beat Georgia three straight times right now. So that's that was about the difference between Ohio State and Michigan five years ago. So I, it's – it, you know, you had a huge, you, you had a decade winning streak against them and you haven't beaten them in five years now. Three straight losses the COVID year, Michigan ducked out on the Buckeyes, but three straight losses to Michigan is really what's driving that. So I, I get what you're saying too with Ohio State. I think that's the perfect example of a program going all in, but I'll tell you what, NIL era, if it's about spending money, I got to think Ohio State's spending on a completely different level than what we're seeing here. Gainesville will so it might not just be Billy Napier I don't know if we're seeing articles in the Orlando Sentinel that are a a bit of an advertisement for the uh, Florida victorious if we're spending at a level that it takes to compete at at the highest level there will so it's it's a vision problem you got to cast a vision yeah so on the offensive side of the ball he he did say Billy Napier did say he is looking to hand off some tasks on offense he's that's a pretty vague way to say uh, maybe he's going to give some people some run. I know there's been a lot of speculation about Russ Callaway taking a little bit of a bigger role in the offense, but nothing has been confirmed on that front. 
continuity was something he stressed. As he says, the same group of coaches, it means they can hit the ground running. You're not teaching a new coach the playbook. You're not working in uh, with the position group a little more in the spring. Uh, from a play calling perspective, it, Callaway, but he just he referenced that they're working to develop coaches in this area. So it does sound like something that Napier wants to control. I think he also does – sounds like he's hearing the noise around that. He has to. So it, it sounds like he's hearing the noise and at least understands the conversation around it. But regarding the quarterback position – his comment was that they have hit the jackpot with Mertz returning and he's been impressed with Lagway's work ethic so far. It mentioned that he keeps up with Mertz pretty well and he's getting Lagway's getting a good vision of how to work as a college quarterback uh, behind the scenes. And he said this spring he's really trying to understand at what pace DJ Lagway can progress. So I, I did think uh, the points about the quarterback room. We're interesting. Those were probably his strongest statements in that area. But I think the play calling, we had an idea of the continuity. We we don't have to get into that again. We kind of talked about that there and really just handing off some tasks. That's kind of what we want to see overall uh, this year is that Billy Napier having more of that CEO role. Yeah, I think it's, uh, um, you know, obviously the quarterback position is going to be the make or break it for Billy Napier. We've talked about that extensively. Um, whether it's Mertz or whether it's DJ Lagway, they're going to need to see improvement. We even talked about that earlier in this episode in terms of what they're going to need to see there. Um, but again, we're, we're in a prove it stage and, and that's just sort of the reality of where, where Napier sits. And look, this first discussion is a time for him to start casting the vision. Um, I honestly don't want to hear, I, I'm not sure that it's productive to talk about like, we're finally getting our ducks in a row and that sort of stuff because you're not really incur you're not really generating confidence amongst the fan base if it's taken you this long to get your ducks in a row. I think it's where instead of talking about what we've had to do to get to this point, let's talk about what we need to do moving forward. And hopefully that's what we hear from the next time we talk to Billy Napier or somebody talks to Billy Napier is what do we need to do from this point forward? What is the vision of the program? What is the path to competing for bowl games? then competing for wins against all of our rivals and then competing for playoff spots. And that vision has to be cast. And if he lays down the gauntlet and says, my expectation is we will be in the playoff in 2025. I actually think selling that vision, being that aggressive solves a lot of your problems. Cause then I'm sitting there going, okay, he just laid down a gauntlet for me to gauge him against. I think that's fair. I think if he makes the playoff in 2025, Billy Napier has done what we brought him here to do. Right. And, and so, Hey, you set an expectation. If you meet that expectation, fine. If not, we're going to pound you, but at least you've set that expectation rather than the milk toast. Well, it's a process and we're just starting to get to that place and process is over. You got to deliver and it's time to deliver and it's time to cast that vision of what delivery means so that we can, so that we can guys, so that we can evaluate you against that vision and make a determination as to whether you are truly the right guy to lead the program. And, and that's what I think everybody's going through right now. It's just that we're sort of guessing as to what acceptable is. Let's lay down that gauntlet, cast that vision. And I think if you cast that vision and say, what I need to get there is this, mm -hmm. I need 4,000 people to donate to Florida victorious. I need the 10 biggest people who are donors to the university of Florida to come in and hear my pitch for what we're going to do. This is how we're going to get there in 2025. If you lay that out, I don't think you'll have any problem getting the generous people and the generous fans at Florida to support you. But all I'm hearing right now is, 
yeah, it's taken us 18 months to get organized. And I understand why people would then sit there and go, what am I giving my money to that for? Like, that's a scattered vision that I can't buy into. Cast the vision, cast a clear vision. And I think those problems start to get solved. Well, let's wrap up the show here. Well, college football playoff and ESPN have agreed on a six-year extension worth a total of $7.8 billion. Dr. Evil's negotiating this here. Well, to, through the 2031-2032 seasons, according to The Athletic, uh, the playoff still has two years remaining on its current deal and with the network holding the rights to the first round quarterfinal semifinal championship games for the 12 team playoff, which makes its debut after this next season here uh, under the new extension, ESPN would also have the ability to sub license games to other networks. So that's an interesting caveat there. Uh, I wonder if that means we're going to be watching college football playoff games on Peacock. Well, <laughs> not. <laughs> well, if we are, then I'm going to be missing college football playoff games, I suppose, because that's sort of how it went for the NFL. Um, look, I mean, <laughs> the, you mentioned earlier sort of cryptically the tweet I sent out after this. It's like $7.8 billion, yet we need boosters to support our NIL yeah. efforts to build <laughs> rosters. It's like, come on, guys. Like at some point, we got to start talking about how this money flows down to the people who are actually putting the product on the field. Now, I do think, you know, the other thing is you and I were going back and forth. Um, so the Ringer, Bill Simmons website has a union and they were talking, there were a bunch of posts yesterday or two days ago about how some of the interns that they brought in are actually and the freelancers that they brought in are making more money than some of the staff who were there. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that did sort of bring to mind what a collectively bargained, union-oriented type of organization starts to bring is if you allow freelancers, now all of a sudden you can start using those guys to sort of um, undercut the people that you have. And so college football is going to need to be really careful or at least I think people who claim just make them employees and just have a collectively bargained agreement, you're going to have to be a little bit careful about what that looks like, what the protections are, all those sorts of things. Um, there's a reason why the ringer is using freelancers is because they don't have to pay them health insurance and they don't have to pay workers comp and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you can enter in contracts with those folks where essentially they waive those rights because they're independent contractors. And so, what college football is going to look like and how those folks get paid, I think is going to be an open question. And I have zero doubt that the conferences in college football are going to try to squeeze as much of that $7.8 billion away from the players as they can. But I mean, it, at this point, it's like a moral, right? That they're bringing in $7.8 billion for this 12 team playoff, which we basically know 10 of the 12 teams that are probably going to make the playoff anyway, before the season even starts. We know it's, we know that all 12 are going to come out of a group of like 55 or 60. And so finding a way to divide that money amongst those teams and then using some of that money to fund the player procurement just seems like such an obvious solution where this is going to end up. And it turns out an actual legal way to operate, which is the reason why all these lawsuits scare the crap out of college football, because nothing they're doing right now is actually legal from a, from a business perspective. Um, they just need the lawsuits to prove it and 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 force the change, which is why all this stuff has come anyway. So um, I'm interested to see what happens with the 12-team playoff. They're, they still haven't quite negotiated what the actual format is going to be, which is hilarious that they're getting paid for it without even having like really set in stone that the 12-team playoff is going to last beyond this year. Um, 
but uh, you know, hey, it's not like college football's ever rolled out anything in a smooth way that that honored the fans, the players, and the sport. And so I, I wouldn't expect anything less here. I think they need to cast a vision, Will. They just need to cast a vision, <laughs> dude. It'd be they all cast, fixed. I, they got no problem casting a vision. Like you know, you're sitting there. I'm, you know, we got Florida victorious with the Sentinel begging for scraps, and you got seven point eight billion dollars coming into college football. <laughs> I think tough. they cast they cast the vision, man. They got the they got the checks. Um, <laughs> the 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 stacks of cash are rolling in. Now it's a question of executing, not not a question of having the vision. Yeah, that's going to be that that's going to be the next frontier of a lot of this conversation too. I, I think that's that's a that's a hell of a lot of money going into the playoff structure there, Will. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we talked some... last week, we talked last week, the SEC and big 10 are forming a committee to figure out what the next step is for college football. And the next step is figuring out how to make sure none of that $7.8 billion goes to pay for non-revenue sports is really what the next step is. And, uh, and assuming they can do that, then hopefully that pendulum swings back at the players start to get at least some of it. Yep, a lot of lot of rapidly shifting uh, factors in the landscape there. So, and I I don't think this stuff's easy to predict right now. I think, and and there, I think a lot of these solutions are just band aid solutions that are in place. Like nil makes no sense. This was supposed to remember what nil was supposed to be. Will like, hey, I'm I'm Anthony Richardson. Come on down to to. Chevrolet dealership here. Come on down to wherever. Like, come on down to the, the, the local barbecue spot. It, it doesn't matter. Like, what? Like, it, it hasn't. The rules have not mattered at all. The rules have not mattered at all. This has been pay for play from day one. Yeah. Schools have been abusing this rule from day one. And, and everybody it knew it was pay it, for play from day one, right? Like, of course, it, like it's it all so, wink, wink, nil. But, so, like, this is, but the rule makes is not really something that's enforced because. It's a band-aid solution to figure out a way to structure the finances, like you said, to keep as much of the dollars in their hands as possible. And until they figure that out, we're gonna play with these goofy, weird rules for a while. That's that's I I, I don't I don't think we're settling anytime soon. And and I think it's a difficult environment to predict. It's difficult to determine what's what. And I think really outside of just going out and spending, hey, look, if Ohio State. Yeah, you, we can praise Ohio State all day. If they lose two or three games this year, that's a disaster up there, right? That's a, if Lane Kiffin. Are we positive that that Ole Miss is going to be a great team this year? Like we, they, on paper, they look great. The talent looks awesome. But could you see a scenario like I'm remembering? What was that Eagles team that Vince Young called the dream team, where they had signed all these free agents and everything it looked like it was going to be a killer squad that year, right? It looked like it was going to be a great team, and they were just terrible by midseason. Where when is that going to happen to one of these teams that's transfer heavy that went out and put all the money in all the guys and they just are told kind of like Texas A we saw a little bit of that with Texas A and M right where they imploded after that recruiting class I think we're going to see some of those stories in the next few years and the answer is not going to be as simple as just run out and spend a bunch of money either so it, I, who knows what's going to look like three years from now I I don't have yeah. the vision on that right now Will I don't have I, it I, I guess what I would say is that. Lane Kiffin has a program and a fan base that is excited to watch the team play in 2024. Absolutely. And Billy Napier and Florida 
does not have a program that has its fan base just waiting with bated breath for that first game against Miami so that it can prove that it's a national championship contender, right? So Ole Miss may have an incredibly disappointing season, but they will have an awesome offseason as they talk about all this stuff and hype it up and build it up and have the hope that the team is going to be successful. There's never a guarantee. And, you know, I, I think um, there's – there's only one team that can win, obviously, and certainly the 12-team playoff will probably bring more uncertainty when it comes to this. I don't necessarily think that the number one seed is going to win every year because football can go in one direction or the other pretty easily with a couple of turnovers or an injury or something like that. At the same time, um, there's actual hope in, <laughs> at Old Miss that that they have a shot at a national right. championship. Because if you give a coach more than three seasons to build it to that point, it can happen. It can happen. That that's the thing. He's had a, he's he's gotten the time. He's got a little more time here. How many seasons has Lane Kiffin been below five hundred at yeah. Ole Miss? I that's true. That's true. I mean, okay, okay so in the SEC West competing in the SEC West as well. That's been that's a brutal schedule every year. And has Kiffin ever walked out and said, "Yeah, we lost because we weren't organized"? Well. I, I can't keep track of everything like Kiffin says, but I'm sure he said. Yeah, because it's usually I'm, funny. I'm and sure he said and, something interesting. And he's sitting there taking, a, taking, a, swipe at, taking saying, a swipe at Saban. He's got the interesting tweet after the game that makes you forget about it. So it's uh... – so- so, so here, here's here's what I'll say. You you said something earlier about not being able to predict what happens with these sorts of things, and I think that's true. But you know, if if you go back to last year around this time, back in January 2023, I was writing about strategic vision and recruiting and and Napier, and sort of he had made some comments about we're not going to get into bidding wars and those sorts of things. And then you know we had I had an article a couple of weeks ago where we were talking where we were talking about hey it's time to overpay quote unquote players because we have a market and and that's what's going on, and the reality is is that this isn't something that we've known perfectly where it's going, but it has been something that people who who pay attention to economics and, and who have been looking at the changes that have coming could have predicted with at least some certainty of what was coming or at least what was going to be necessary to compete. And I think that's why I've been probably more more hard on Napier with with the changes is, is that you know we we watch this really really closely. We take a look at it, and and a lot of these sorts of things you can start to predict what's going to happen. And again, you don't know perfectly what's going to be there. But you certainly know not to go out and tell your fan base essentially don't donate. Because when you say, I don't want to get into a bidding war, you're saying, yeah, don't donate. It's like it's like when Trump said, don't vote in Georgia. And all of a sudden, the Republicans lose the two Senate seats down there in Georgia. Irrespective of what you think of Trump or who should have won or anything like that, there's no doubt that him discouraging his people to show up impacted that race. And I think you can say that in many ways, the communication of Napier has not has not optimized the engagement for the fan base. And that, that just needs to change. And I think part of that change is going to be the opening up of this 12-team landscape, the opening up of that $7.8 billion. And if he's been slow to change while college football has been changing for the last two years, give me hope that you're not going to be slow to change as college football continues to change because the change is not going to stop. The $7.8 billion just made a lawyer go, Hmm, how can I find a, a lawsuit here to open this up? We talked about Tennessee and Virginia suing the NCAA. We talked about the committee that the big 10 and the sec are forming for the future of college football. All of those things are, are working in concert 
to generate enormous amounts of revenue and enormous amounts of change. And so Florida, it's it's not like everything is now stagnant. Everything is under control. The change is done and now it's time to go. It's you still have to execute while everything else is changing again. The ground is shaking beneath you. I get it, but it's not going to stop. And so all the $7.8 billion contract tells me is that is that it's not like there was an earthquake and now we're experiencing aftershocks it's still the middle of the earthquake and you got to figure out what you're going to do in that earthquake to survive so that when it stops you're not stuck under the rubble and and that's kind of where 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 i am with it is that this is just one more extension of all of the stuff we've already talked about tonight all right well i know if i say something else it's going to we're gonna go off in another twenty minutes, so I'll I'll just uh I'll be the bigger man tonight, and I'll I'll just I'll I'll just wrap it up here. Well, do you, you want you want to remind uh, everyone where to contact you about magazine advertisements? Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you stuck through at this point with us, t- <laughs> with us hitting Napier like this, or me hitting Napier at this, Nick's been Nick's been level headed. Um, but uh, you're you're definitely a true fan and somebody that we we want to have on board with us. So reach out to me, Will at readandreaction.com at Will Miles SEC on X um, and certainly would love to get you the media kit information, pricing information. And uh, like Nick mentioned earlier, we have advertising opportunities with the stand up and holler podcast, as well as reading reaction website. If there's interest for that as well. Well, thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of stand up and holler for Will Miles. I'm Nick Newton. Have a great week and go Gators. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to stand up and holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.